I'm curious what you think really works and what, what people will do that'll be the most effective. 85% is under our control. It's diet, it's environment, it's exercise, it's rest, sleep, loving relations, all these things. Epidemic of chronic disease is due almost entirely to environmental medicine chemicals. There's no substitute for making our bodies as healthy as possible to be resistant as possible to these pandemics. The overreaction to it, I think, is causing more damage than the pandemic itself. Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to Vibe. Uh, today I was finally able to track down the amazing Dr. Joe Pizzorno. And so let me share with you a little bit about his bio. And we get into some kind of interesting niche topics when it comes to this whole COVID-19 pandemic. At this point, you know, I think I've logged 600 hours of research um, with all the political issues, but the health and wellness issues as well. And so I just kind of asked him all the things that were on my mind. But he is a leader in uh, functional medicine. He was the founding president of Bastyr University. So they've graduated lots and lots of physicians um, for the last, what is that, 42 years in all of the disciplines uh, related to functional medicine. Functional medicine is kind of what we call it now, but back then that term didn't exist yet. But it was the first accredited institution in this field of natural medicine in the whole world. And he is the co-author of the textbook of natural medicine. Um, first time it came out was when I graduated high school. So he has been doing this for 50 years and he's still just sharp as a tack and has lots, lots to say and is a total inspiration in terms of if you eat healthy and he hasn't eaten a land animal in 50 years, he said, a little bit of fish and, and that's about it. Um, if you stay healthy, then you are still contributing, happy and contributing, uh, you know, into your 70s. So he was the co-author of, of Textbook of Natural Medicine, um, and that has sold over 100,000 copies in four different languages, and half of those were purchased by MDs. And so I have his reference books here. Um, they're some of the fattest books I've ever owned. Um, he is a naturopathic physician, lic licensed in Washington State since 1975. He seems to really prize being a researcher and an educator, first and foremost, these days. So he's on a bunch of different boards, and he's been very involved politically in helping get natural medicine integrated. Um, in fact, he was appointed by both President Clinton and President Bush to two prestigious government commissions to advise the president and Congress on how to integrate natural medicine into the healthcare system. So he definitely told me that he has to be really careful what he says about, for instance, vaccines, because he wants to continue to have a powerful voice uh, with, our, with our legislators. So with that, I was very excited to finally connect with the amazing Dr. Joe Pizzorno. So everyone listening to the Vibe Show, from all of us, we welcome you, Dr. Joe Pizzorno. Thank you. Great to be with you today. Well, we've had a lot of time to explore this. You have as I have, let's just, let's just go there. What's on everybody's mind, of course, is what has happened since March of 2020, the whole COVID thing. Is this an organic virus that just happened to us? And what's going on is a reasonable response 
Um, it sure looks really coordinated to me. What, what do you think? What is really going on with COVID-19? That's a great question. And obviously, a lot of people ask me questions. And I've been involved in five different professional study groups, small groups of people kind of looking at various aspects of this, trying to figure out what it all means. Okay, so I have opinions, but I want to know they're pretty informed opinions. I look at a lot of research. So here's my perspective. Yes, we have a pandemic. And we have pandemics have happened uh, regularly throughout the years. My own belief is that the population has become so debilitated and countries are still stupidly experimenting with biological warfare. I think we're going to see more and more pandemics. So we look at this pandemic, you know, sadly, it's killed a lot of people. A lot of people have been infected. But the overreaction to it, I think, is causing more damage than the pandemic itself. My best estimation is that it's probably about 50% worse than the typical flu that we get so often. Now, again, I don't want people to think I'm being callous and not concerned about people who've lost their lives and have been damaged by it. That's real. And the reality is that this always happens. There's always some pandemic or some bacteria that's coming through the population and vulnerable people get sick and die. So it's not about which particular organism happens to be spread throughout the world right now. It's about how resistant people are to it. How, how, how does the body take care of itself? Let me give you something, some, some research that's just come out around the SARS-CoV-2 that I think is fascinating. So people are now all really concerned about this huge increase in incidents in the United States. Well, remember, we've done a huge amount of testing, uh, testing so you can get more because of that. And also, we had all those protests and then riots going on. People get a lot of contact. So, of course, there's going to be more cases. The reality is that everybody eventually is going to be exposed to this in some way. So the idea that, oh, we got to stop people from being exposed, we can't. It's going to be everywhere unless you want to live in a bubble, in a bubble somewhere. So let's go back to some of the basics. Look at the basics. So when a person is exposed to a virus or bacteria, we have uh, several layers of defense. Everybody's aware of the physical barriers, the mucous membranes, the skin, and they keep out most of the stuff that is trying to infect us. If you were to right now uh, uh, culture the throat of everybody listening and your audience right now, 20% of those people would likely have uh, beta hemolytic strep in their, in their throats. A bunch of them are going to have coronaviruses in the in respiratory tract infections. We have these things around us all the time. Our normal body just keeps out of control. Yeah, now, I, always, I always uh, test positive. Uh, my whole life, I test positive for strep all the time, even though I yes. haven't had it since I was 25. And I always test positive for Epstein-Barr, too, even though I've never been sick from it. Yes. And most people don't realize that, yeah, we do know that strep causes strep throat and all the sequelae, rheumatic fever, et cetera. But most people don't realize that this research done way back in the 40s People with adequate levels of vitamin C don't get the sequelae when they get the, the beta hemolytic strep overgrowth. It's like it's not the organism, it's the person who is being resisting the organism. That's the problem. Anyway, so we have our physical barriers. And then, of course, next, the, the standard thing is then once it gets past the physical barriers, now the immune system has to take care of it. You've got two versions of the immune system. You've got the innate immune system, which responds very, very quickly. You've got the humoral or antibody-based immune system, which is way stronger, but takes several days to wrap up. Okay. So the way we now determine if people have been exposed to the COVID-19 is we check them for antibodies. Okay, well, that's reasonable to do. That means the second layer of the immune system had to be activated because the first layer of the immune system, the innate immune system, was not adequate. But here's what most people don't realize. 
recent research is showing that twice as many people have innate immune system cells like like T cells activated against the coronavirus and they don't have any antibodies. So twice as many people that produce antibodies, their innate system got rid of the antibody, got rid of the coronavirus so easily they never had to activate the second stage. What does that tell you? The vast majority of people, that's what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I think that people think that like there's these magical properties to different viruses. And, and granted, there have been viruses that, that attack the young. Was that this Spanish flu maybe or the one in 1918? Sure. But well, the, flu, the flu right now kills a lot more young people than so SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that people are so lacking awareness of like you what you just referred to in layman's terms is the fact that you know, there's this germ theory that there's germs outside of us and they're running and chasing us their, your whole life. And they're, once, once they get you, it'll make you sick and you'll die. Um, that li- literally was an untrue theory. And the terrain theory of disease, which you said in layman's terms, is it just depends on how strong the host is. I think most people don't understand that elderly people almost always die of an infection or a virus at the end. But it's just never been front page news before. Do you get that sense too? Yes. Yeah, the, only, the people are dying are the ones who are already so, so, their bodies are always just bad shape, they couldn't protect themselves. Of course, it's not everybody, but it's over 90%. It's got to tell you something. So uh, when I say the term, the name Bichamp, you know who that is? Yep. Okay, good. And tell us. Okay, so um, everybody's heard of Pasteur, and he was a French scientist way back in the 18th century. And he used to debate in the open forums with a guy by the name of Bichamp. And Bichamp said, it's the train, it's the strength of the body. And, and <laughs> good old Pasteur said, no, no, it's the organism, the organism. So most people don't realize that on his deathbed, Pasteur said Bichamp was right. Because Bichamp was right. It's our resistance. Now, having said that, I don't care how good your immune system is, if you get a sufficiently virulent organism, um, it, it, it can't get you. And of course, what are the biological warfare people doing? They're trying to create infectious agents that will bypass the immune system and be extremely deadly. So it's not like it's never going to happen, uh, but right now it very, very rarely happens. I think it's, I think it's pretty likely that the uh, SARS-CoV-2 was a biological uh, warfare uh, agent that actually got released. So that's what it looks like, looks like to me. I don't think it was intentionally released. A but, biological warfare agent that was unintentionally released. Your opinion? Yes. Yeah, there's something called gain of function. When you look at the uh, biological warfare research, they do they have a, a theory of gain and function. What they mean is, are there ways they can modify the organism to make it more infectious? Okay. So if you look at the uh, SARS-CoV-2, uh, there was a great paper that came out oh about two months ago I read that looked at the amino sequences uh, in the SARS-CoV-2. There's something called a ferrin sequence, which I'm not going to get into, but it's kind of a series of amino acids that made it really infective. Well, five other laboratories behind, besides Wuhan have been working on this particular strain, and they had changed other sequences. So they didn't get quite that sequence, but they put a bunch of other sequences that are very, very similar, and that particular sequence is the one they had to get out of the lab. So I think it's pretty clear it was human-made. It's pretty clear that it was human-made. Uh, what I'm curious, what leads you to um, conclude that it wasn't released on purpose. I mean, there was Fauci, I think, I think it was in 2014, that when he was banned, the, the Shimeric research in the United States was became illegal. He then outsourced it to China. Does that not seem really fishy to you? Uh, without question. 
uh, the more I've read about these things, and uh, Fauci's working with these Chinese labs where the actual outbreak seems to have happened is very worrisome. I'm, I'm not going to assert any nefarious perspectives, but the problem is we as a world should not be experimenting with these things because they do get out. Okay. Yeah, what's um, the excuse? Like, what, what excuse do they give why, why you would take oh, a virus okay. and mess with it in a lab? So we know how to, no, so we know how to treat people if they get it. So, so if that was the reason for it, then how come we didn't have a treatment for this particular infectious organism if Fauci was involved in its creation? I don't know if he was or not, but you, know, you, you, can, make, you can make that assertion, and it's not totally outlandish. So at the time that we're recording this interview, uh, it's been probably 10 days now, maybe, maybe two weeks, that all of a sudden we have these conservative states, and I'm in one of them, Utah, Tennessee, Arizona, Texas, Florida, all of a sudden, boom, all the governors caved, and they all seem to have some basic math deficits, yes. according to how I see things. Like, I look at the data, and I'm like, okay, our death rate is down by 92%, but all you see in the media is spiking infection rate, and of course, by infection, they mean somebody who got a positive test result, and isn't there a big difference between a positive test result and a case or an infection? The vast majority of people who get infected have no symptoms or at best a minor symptom they hardly even noticed. So the more testing we do, the more positive cases we're going to find, but that doesn't mean we get increased hospitalizations, increased ICU, increased deaths. So now, having said that, there has been a slight uptake in hospitalizations and ICUs, and I predict we'll see a slight uptake in deaths. But if you look at the CDC data, um, the CDC data shows that the epidemic is over. Okay. Uh, yes, there's still some deaths, but you know all those deaths were way, way back in March and April. We're seeing 15,000 people die a day. It's not happening now. I'm mean, die die a week rather. I'm sorry. It's not happening anymore. And yet the you know the government isn't backing off of us at all. I mean here here in Utah we're the first state and and literally we you don't you don't even need to bother to vote in Utah because whoever the presidential candidate is that's a Republican will win. Like we're that conservative. There's two counties that aren't. There's 30 counties and I'm in one of the two Democrat counties and they'll just vote for whoever, whoever is the Democrat. But in the state, like it's always Republican. We are one of the most conservative states in the country and we are the first to mandate that the kids go back to school for an entire four months at least with mandated masks. And Utahns right now are losing their minds, especially in the other 28 counties who never got shut down. Um, but mandated Ask him to, to give you a study, not a theoretical model, a study showing that the masks actually have a net benefit. When I, 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 have, I want to be clear. I try to be very scientific in what I do. I coined the term science-based natural medicine when I founded Bastard University. So I'm very, very science-oriented. I'm also a natural medicine true believer, okay? And they're not, they're not incompatible because science is what we use to get better. So anyway, so when, when I did a quick scan of PubMed, on studies looking at whether masks work, in general, those that say the masks work were either theoretical or computer uh, modeling. Those which show it does not appear to work are the ones which actually looked at clinical outcomes and measured the amount of virus on the inside versus the outside of the mask. And those all tend to be negative, saying they don't work. So before somebody locks down a state, show me some good, solid research that the masks work. My own perspective is social distancing, does work. Washing hands does work. Masks are probably going to be a net negative, not net positive. And the lockdowns are just destroying society without benefit. Okay. So I'm going to write that down because I'm going to represent you out there. Net negative 
on mask mandates, shutdowns, net negative, but you're, but you're pro social distancing and washing your hands, of course. Right now, in years I can tell, those are the only two that have actually been shown to have benefits. Yes, we did uh, flatten the curve with some of the early things. But remember, this all started with flattening the curve. Yeah, we flattened the curve. Done. Stop yeah. all this other stuff. And unfortunately, you've got too many people in the, in the uh, positions of authority that are frightened of the media. And the media, as you know, is so one-sided, showing only one side, and anybody who tries to say anything different gets pilloried. So these these Republican governors, you know, show some show some spine. Yeah, they're they were just they're caving right and left left. And our governor, those of us who've watched him for many years, because he's finishing a second term right now, mm-hmm. he looks like he hasn't slept in months. Mm-hmm. And, and I just have to wonder what kind of pressure he's under. I have hosted two protests here in Utah. And hundreds of people showed up, and it, in both cases, we were not we were not there to talk about masks. We were there to talk about the shutdown of our businesses, the loss of fifteen percent of our jobs, the loss of our freedoms. Yes. And four news media, major news media outlets showed up to the first one. Hundred percent of them, even though two of them interviewed me after, said that it was a mask protest. We never even we never even mentioned masks. So the second one that I just put on a week or two ago, um, I said first thing I said with the microphone to a few hundred people is. Uh, I would like to make a comment to the media. I see you here, Fox. I see you here, KSL. Um, Please don't get the story wrong this time. This is not about masks. We're not here to protest masks. We're here to protest the wholesale destruction of the small businesses of Utah and and our jobs. And one of them, KSL, who stuck around and interviewed me at the end, and I said it to her again. I said, please don't go out there. She says, what's there anything else that you want to say? And I'm like, yes, please don't make this story about us being anti-mask. Fox at the back of the crowd had a conversation with somebody back there who, who posted it on, on my social media later. And, and they said, what, what did she just say? And they said, she, she said, don't, don't report this as a mass protest because that's not what we're doing here. That's not an issue she particularly cares about. That's not what this protest is. And they said, oh, we're not covering the story then. And they left. Um, <laughs> KSL, the one that stayed and interviewed me later, and I reiterated it to her right to her face. Uh, they reported it as a mass protest. So that's, that's all well, they'll talk about. They will not talk about the broken businesses. So the, the, the core of, free, of freedom, capitalism, free enterprise, the strength of America are small businesses. So this is to directly destroy the core strength of the country. That's what they're doing. The people with a lot of money aren't going to get hurt. People with not much money aren't going to get hurt because they got all these bailouts. The people in the middle, the middle class, the ones who do that via the small businesses, they're the ones that are being actively destroyed by this process. And do you believe that's because this is just the Stalinist playbook and you have to destroy the middle class and the small businesses because they're the threat to you because of middle class wealth? Um, I'll let you say that. You're not not going to argue with me about that. (laughs) I, I try to be politically independent because I do a lot of work at the state and federal level. I got to work with people on both sides of the aisle, wide diversity of opinions, politics, et cetera. So I try to be as neutral as possible and, and stick with the facts. And that's well, let's, talk about, let's talk about one of your strengths, which is, you know, in fact, I sometimes use your book. Didn't you co-author it with Michael Murray? Because it's so fat that it's really good for holding up my microphone. Not that it's not also good for speaking, but, but I mean, you've been well known for a very long time and speaking up on behalf of 
how much science is behind natural plant extracts to strengthen the immune system. And, you know, another mechanism is actually killing um, bacteria and, and neutralizing viruses. Um, what do you think works? What, you, you've been looking at all this and you're hearing this, the new, uh, the steroid guy who's out there, the doctor who's saying, hey, I've had 100% sex, success with this um, steroid approach. There's the hydrochloroquine big raging debate because as soon as Trump said it, you know, now it was something we had to fight. And we have seen, you know, what's really interesting, Dr. Joe, is that we have seen Fauci and Burks say not one word about anything that could keep your immune system strong, which is so fundamental. I mean, if you think you have a 50 year career in public health, you would think that you would at least acknowledge not one acknowledgement, only just driving to the vaccine, driving to the vaccine. Of course, that that really expensive drug that turned out to be a complete fail. He did, he did offer that. I don't know if he has like stock in that company or what, but I found an article where Fauci was interviewed in 2015. And he said, I take a thousand milligrams of vitamin C every day because it strengthens my immune system. Oh, good for him. It's the only positive thing I've heard of about him so far. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's not positive because he knows that. And yet he won't say we'll a single word. Won't say a single word to the American public about things they can do to be healthier. I mean, whose whose team is this guy on? So, what do you, what do you think about uh, you know what does work? Because we're all looking at there's going to be the second wave this fall and winter, and I'm convinced that this whole we'll let you keep your businesses if you'll all just wear masks permanently. I personally believe this is a theory. I cannot prove it, but just from watching and hundreds of hours of research in the last four and a half months that they have to have everybody in masks because then they need every incentive possible for everybody to get the vaccine because it'd be so much easier for them if everybody just gets it. And then, then we're chipped and there's no, opti- there's no opting out of it after that. But I believe that they're going to say, okay, everybody who gets the vaccine, you can take your mask off. And as long as you keep current on all the vaccines that we say that you should, you should get, then you can, you can stay maskless. Um, but, but, you know, I'm curious about, and you could totally comment on the whole vaccine issue if you want, but I'm curious what you think really works and what, what people will do that'll be the most effective when this does. I, I, yeah. I'd love to talk about that because uh, I think there's a lot of things we can do, uh, but I just want to make one comment on what you just said. And that is, it's not just about the masks. It seems like travel on airplanes. So part of my role in the world these days is you know, I, I study a lot and I lecture to doctors literally all over the world. And it's coming out. It's going. It's coming uh, once they have quote an effective vaccine where they find it's effective. Um, I would be forced to use the vaccine, or I won't be able to get into an airplane to do my work. That's how they're going to do it. Yeah. So uh, it's it's worrisome. Well, let me go back to what we can do about it. So remember, I told you before about you know the kind of conventional view of the immune system is you've got these protective mechanical barriers, the uh, mucous membranes and the skin. And we've got the immune system, kind of innate immediate immune system. They've got the delayed, much stronger immune system. I would like to hypothesize there's actually a third layer of defense that we have that we have totally sabotaged as a society. So where I got to this was, uh, so I think you may know I have a a major paper on uh, natural medicines for the COVID-19 pandemic. It's in PubMed. Anybody put my name in there and, and get uh, access to the paper, or, or if the PubMed index is not there, just put my name in there and get a free copy of the paper. So four of us uh, put together a very comprehensive paper, 25 pages, hundreds of references, bunch of figures we created, kind of laying out how you use natural therapies depending upon the stage of the infection. So prevention, infection, cytokine storm, and then recovery. And well, 
I'm a great believer in natural medicines and they're rarely toxic side effects. This is a situation where a natural medicine that's optimal for the infectious stage may not be appropriate during the inflammatory inflammation out of control stage. So we kind of go through and look at all of these. Now, one of my responsibilities on this paper was looking at this issue about how do you get zinc into cells? And that's important because if you look at the uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, research, it looks like if, that if it's effective, and I think it probably is effective, I don't think it's a cure, but I think it helps. It looks like one of the main mechanisms of action is to get zinc into cells. It's called a zinc onophore. Because when the zinc gets into the cells, it can then block the virus efforts to take over the machinery, the metabolic machinery of the cells. So, um, and, uh, and we, we also want to look at bioflavonoids because there's research showing that there's some bioflavonoids that have uh, antiviral activity. So I was blessed to go along, dive into research, which I love to do. And I was researching quercetin and, and actually I looked up about a dozen different bioflavonoids. But I ran across this paper that was a supercomputer study. What they were doing is kind of a typical uh, new drug discovery process. And then if you look at um, something you want, you, you want to look at what kind of physical cap- physical capability, or I should say this, what kind of uh, three-dimensional characteristics uh, does a molecule have to have to have the desired pharmaceutical effect? And they're specifically looking at the uh, SARS-CoV-2 spikes and looking for molecules that would bind to those spikes to make them non-infectious. Smart, smart strategy. And so they, just, they looked at like 2,000 different molecules. And I was looking at that as I saw of the top five, two of them were natural products, luteolin and quercetin. I thought, well, that's interesting. So here you have quercetin apparently binding directly to the virus to make it less infective, and quercetin is an ionophore to get zinc into cells. Well, isn't that interesting? Could it be that these flavonoids and bioflavonoids play a role in our infection resistance? So then I started looking at finding other molecules. It turns out there's a bunch of molecules in plants that the plants produce that make them more resistant to viruses, bacteria, fungi, uh, ultraviolet light from the sun, uh, predation by insects. I mean, all these molecules of plants produce not to grow, but to protect themselves. I said, well, that's interesting. So these plants have all these molecules to protect themselves. So if we eat those plants with those molecules in them, we have more protection as well. There's like a second line defense. First, you have the physical barriers, then get past the physical barriers. Things, all these natural molecules bind to these things. And sometimes that's all it takes. But if all it does is slow down the rate at which that virus can replicate, look at all the extra time it gives, gives our immune system to rev up, to get rid of it. Huge advantage. You give, give the immune system an extra day, even an extra 12 hours, it's a huge advantage. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I started looking at the levels of these molecules in chemically grown foods versus organically grown foods. And here's what's fascinating. Many of these antiviral molecules, not only are they at lower levels in chemically grown foods, in many cases, they're not even in chemically grown foods anymore. So what we've done is we've removed ourselves from a food supply that all these vitamins and minerals and what I'm going to call unimportant molecules. For some reason, we've decided there's only 50 molecules and elements in food that are important. Vitamins, minerals, uh, things of this nature, proteins, fine. Do you want to take a wild guess? How many molecules are actually in plants in the normal environments? 
how many like how many compounds are in how many different different compounds are in plants in all plants and and, and well yeah let's say in all plants at this time I, I mean know. I would say it's got to be at least hundreds try fifty thousand wow so we've decided that ninety nine point nine percent of the molecules in foods are not important so therefore if we use chemical fertilizer for like chemical growth processes and we don't worry about losing those molecules oh and by the way we do keep a few of the molecules that provide the color to the food so food has the right color. Then that right substance anymore, at least it has the right color. So those other molecules have huge benefit. And so people eat organically are dramatically improving their life quality and health longevity because not only is it antiviral, but then studies looking at, well, let's take some can- let's take some prostate cancer cells. Let's put them in a little petri dish, see how fast they grow. Now, let's add in some quercetin. Oh, it cuts the growth by 50%. Oh, let's add in some luteolin. Another one of these antiviral things I talked about. Oh, cuts it cuts the growth by 50%. Well, let's put them both in there. Cut the, cut the growth rate of the cancer cells by 90%. Wow. So it's not just virus resistance. It's all the other factors in our body. Our bodies are dependent upon these other molecules. Make sure everything works independently of our biochemistry as well as with our biochemistry. So it's both. I'm not saying vitamins and minerals aren't important. They are. But not just themselves. Everything else as well. So what we've done as a society, and I just, I gave my first um, plenary lecture for the Institute for Functional Medicine uh, uh, just a month ago, and I titled it Thoughts on a Unified Theory of Disease. And my belief is that the reason we have so much disease today, and I assume you're aware, we're the highest disease burden ever in human history. And while medical apologists will say, well, it's because people are getting older, yes, people are getting somewhat older, but we have more disease in every age population. That's all gone now. So you look at this, what's happened is we evolved in this environment with all these molecules. And, and yeah, some of those molecules were poisonous, but you know something? We developed enzyme systems to break them down. For example, cabbage family foods. Everybody knows that if you eat cabbage family foods, women get less breast cancer because cabbage family foods induce detoxification enzymes in the liver that detoxify estrogen through an anti-cancer pathway rather than a pro-cancer pathway. Okay, well, that's great. Why do we have those enzymes? Well, we developed those enzymes because they're poisons. These molecules that induce these enzymes are poisonous unless you have the enzymes to get rid of them. We developed the enzymes, so therefore we can eat them. The only things we are toxic to are things like puffer, puffer, you know, puffer fish poison. Well, it's so poisonous, we can't adapt to it. So in general, virtually everything in our environment we've become adapted to and depend upon for our health. So now we have this normal, healthy environment. We've removed a majority of these healthy molecules that are important for our health and replaced them, which you, which you see a video of my hands are moving. We've put back, in, so we've taken good molecules out of our body, we put in metals and chemicals that are poisonous and toxic, and that's why we have all this disease. So I'm lecturing literally all of the world that the um, epidemic of chronic disease is due almost entirely to environmental metals and chemicals. And, you know, I know that there's only so much you can say. You're very careful about what you say about vaccines. But my opinion is that when we get this new adult vaccine schedule, we're just going to be shooting ourselves up with old carcinogenic aborted fetal tissues and and old carcinogenic animal brains and DNA and RNA and all these metals and chemicals. And I'm not even entirely convinced that there's even an agenda that this injection we have coming up has anything to do with COVID. 
That's that's how. Yeah, as you talked before, uh, the uh, vaccinations are a hugely challenging issue, and rather than taking vaccinations on directly, what I would say instead is, uh, sure, there's a situation where vaccinations are a good idea, but realistically, do you want to wait for some scientist in a lab somewhere in the world to a few years from now come up with a vaccination for this pandemic, and then the next pandemic you'll be just as susceptible to again? There's no substitute for making our bodies as healthy as possible to be resistant as possible to these pandemics. So, um, yeah, you can wear a mask and wait for a vaccine, or why don't you develop a healthier lifestyle so your body's stronger and yeah. not worry about these things? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to back up and do a couple of cleanup questions from what okay. you what you said. So you were talking about is it 15,000 plant compounds? Is that how many have okay, been? Okay. Let me be more explicit. 50,000 have been. Detected so far, researchers are projecting it may be as as many as 200,000. Compounds in plants. So you were talking about how there are these many compounds in plants that are protective of the the actual cell or the plant itself. And, you know, there are definitely people out there who are promoting like the carnivore diet because sort of the corollary of that being, well, there are molecules in plants that are poisonous so that as, as sort of like to repel insects that would be predators of that plant. Therefore, people shouldn't eat, use them. So I was just wondering what you have to say about that fact that there are also poisons or the, the you know, let's see, the carnivore diet people will talk about this. There's definitely the autoimmune community. Some of them think you have to get rid of, you know, anything with any anti-nutrients in them. What do you have to say about all that? So, um, there's, there's two things. There's the easy answer and there's a complex answer. The easy answer is we developed the ability to deal with virtually everything in the food supply. So I wouldn't worry about it. Everything natural in the food supply. The more nuanced answer is there's huge genetic variation in how people's enzymes work in the body. So, for example, in the liver, we talk about those liver detox enzymes. Well, some of those enzymes, based on genetics, have a thousand-fold difference in efficacy. So, for example, going back to the cabbage family example, my wife loves cabbage family foods, okay, and tries to force as many of those on me as she possibly can. <laughs> I hate cabbage family foods, and I just did my uh, 23. I just didn't just do it, but I went back and did an analysis of my 23 and Me genetics, and it turns out I don't upregulate the production of the enzymes in my liver that break down the toxins in cabbage family foods. So, therefore, for me, cabbage family foods actually have limited benefit. So there's lots of examples where you can find a portion of the population where, yeah, they really de- need to avoid that particular uh, plant family of toxins. But for the vast majority of them, we all detoxify them just fine. Just fine. Did you find that you had, so you didn't enjoy them, you didn't enjoy cabbage and broccoli and whatever. And, and I'm kind of with you, like I don't hate any of them, but I'm not like really drawn to them. Do you think, or, or did you actually find that you had a reaction to it and discovering that in your, in your genome Helped you say, oh, that's why I also react to it. Yes, I, I definitely don't like them. I don't like the taste. Okay. But, but and so I was so I, delighted when I found my had a genetic excuse for it. You're waving it in front of your wife. I'm never eating broccoli <laughs> again. <laughs> right. You're like any other vegetable, but not those. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so going back to the carnivore thing. So let me be clear. Um, humans, <laughs> as you might expect, since I lecture so much, I'm often asked, What's the best diet? And I say to people, you know, humans are incredibly adaptable. If you don't get extreme on one side or the other, 
Uh, and unless you have a genetic susceptibility, it should not make much difference. Now, so, but let's talk about the extremes. Let's talk about people who are vegans, okay? Pure vegan. Okay, my, my son has a girlfriend right now who's pure vegan. Great. Well, most people don't realize that one quarter to one third of the population can't convert beta carotene to vitamin A or they can convert it very, very poorly. So you might look at a vegan who's turning orange. That vegan is probably having trouble converting beta carotene to vitamin A and over time will develop vitamin A deficiency. You can't get vitamin A from food, from plants. The um, people have conflated carotenes with vitamin A as the same thing. No, they're not the same thing. Carotene is two vitamin A's bound together. You've got to have the enzyme to cleave it in half. Don't have that enzyme, it's not vitamin A. Uh, so there was just so, there's so many, there's so many examples I can give you where vegans can run into trouble. Everybody knows about B12, for example. So there's a bunch of other examples. So you can get in trouble. Doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you have to be more careful. Same thing on the other side. There are a lot of nutrients that we really need for optimal health that are not in only meat. So um, you can find them in other ways, but there are also some subtle problems. So for example, as evolved as a species, the foods that we ate had a natural alkalinizing effect in the body that made the urine alkaline. That's what we evolved on was an alkaline-forming uh, diet. Now, it doesn't mean everything we're eating was alkaline-forming because we have plenty of acid-forming and plenty of alkaline-forming. We're just eating more of the alkaline-forming than the acid-forming. Well, now we're eating more acid-forming. And when you go into a high-meat diet, it's a highly acid-forming uh, diet. Now, here's the problem. If you're not consuming enough alkalizing agents along with it, your body has to adapt to the excess acidity. So how does it do that? Well, the first thing it does is the kidneys start having to excrete more acid and try to retain more alkalizing substances. So you have to increase risk for kidney stones. Then you have a situation where if the kidneys can't get rid of enough acid, then the lungs have to respire more. If it doesn't do enough, then it has to take calcium from the bone to alkalize the excess acidity so you dissolve your bones. So I'm not saying... Don't be a pure meat eater, but if you are, you got to be aware. To ask for a diet, you've got to alkalinize it. And maybe that means, oh, you have to take uh, magnesium, potassium, citrate supplements to neutralize it. Okay, fine, do that. But you can't just say, oh, I really like that I'm losing all this weight. I really like my muscle mass is going up. It must be good for me. In the short term, yes. Long term, probably not. Yeah, I, um, I feel better the more plant-based I am. And I've been... 95 to 100% plant-based for 20-something years. And when I eat meat, I don't like have a reaction to eating meat. I just, I feel the best when I'm as close to zero with animal products, but I also don't put that on other people because I have people who I think are very smart and very educated about nutrition and they try it and it doesn't work for their body. And their, their body demands meat. So I completely allow for the fact that some people need to eat meat. And I do occasionally eat animal products too. That may be why I don't get in these nutrient deficiencies. I don't know. I, so I, I'm mainly vegetarian. Um, I have not eaten any lamb animals for literally over 50 years. Okay, so... No lamb my, animals <laughs> for 50 years. Yeah, so I don't call myself vegetarian because I found I have to eat, I have to eat fish probably once a week. I don't like it, but um, probably don't want to do it more often, but once every two weeks. But I got to eat fish occasionally for optimal health. I can notice the difference. And no eggs, cheese. So by the way, we do eat some eggs, we do eat cheese. Yes. Okay. But we and primarily, primarily plant-based. Okay. Yeah, you, you're probably even more plant-based than I am. I have a daughter who's been vegetarian since she's 11, has not eaten a land animal in 14 years. Oh, so okay. over, what's that, over half her life. And that was just 
her decision after I had her read a book by Eric Sloshinger called Chew on This. And it was really about the past. Have you, have you read that? I haven't seen that one, no. Yeah. If you ever run into him, you can tell him he made an overnight vegetarian of my daughter, which okay. <laughs> fine by me. Um, but I, I might eat more meat than you do because I don't, I don't enjoy fish, but you know, John Robbins eats fish now after being Does alive. Really? Oh, I haven't, I haven't talked to John for years. Actually, I tried, I tried to hook up his son, uh, Ocean, I think it was with my daughter, but um, oh, you did? It, it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, John Robbins eats eats wild-caught fish twice a week now. He just find, finds that he... And I, I know a lot of people over 65 say they feel like they need more protein. But your body has adapted to eating virtually all plants. That's great because you look amazing and you're still sharp. Oh, thank you. And a lot of people have retired, I think, by the time they get to where you are and you're doing your best work now. You know, Robin, one of my, my, my wife's greatest uh, concerns is so many of our family and friends our age are either dead now have major disease has debilitated them or they're kind of done with life. And we're just, we're just full speed ahead. <laughs> There's so much to do in the world. And, you know, at this point, as you say, you know, my mind still works pretty well. I've been studying medicine now for literally 50 years in one month. I got involved in conventional medical research 50 years in one month ago. And so I've, I've read a lot of research. I've seen a lot of patients. I've, uh, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. Not at the point where I'm able to put a lot of these things together. I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think it'd be a tragedy if all of a sudden I'm retired and not keep telling people what I've learned and not keep learning too, by the way. It's one of the things I love is, love is continue to learn. Well, I mean, that's so exciting because I think that we just imagine that at about 70, we, we put people out to pasture, but that's right when you have the most to give. I mean, your whole like life experience combined with professional experience and, and right when you're an international treasure, what you can just, take up residence in a lazy boy and watch TV till for 10, 20 years. I'm, I'm so glad that you're. Shoot me first. Yeah. Shoot me first. Yeah. So I've written now what seven books for consumers. My latest one being the, uh, the toxin solution where I tell people, you know, here's how toxins damage your body and cause disease. Here's where they're coming from. Here's how you avoid them. And here's how you get your body prepared to get rid of them. And then how to get rid of them. Some people, people go on, Oh, I'm going on a detox program. Well, don't go on a detox program until your organs of elimination are working properly, what the old nature has called the emunctories. You know, we've got organs of elimination that we have so overloaded with so much crap that you can't go on a detox program and just release more things from the tissues until you can get them out of the body. Anyway, so I've got seven books for consumers and six textbooks for doctors, and I'm really excited to announce it. This is the first time I've actually said this on a, on a media situation. The fifth edition of my textbook of natural medicine just came off the presses. I'll show you a picture of it. Literally just nice. came Fifth edition, two volumes, 2,000 pages, 250 chapters, 20,000 research citations, full color, documenting that natural medicine is effective at not only preventing disease, but reversing disease. Anyway, I'm really excited about it. I'm going to do, actually, I was going to do a tweet. Uh, I, I was waiting for Amazon to list it before I tweeted it. I'm going to do that shortly. Well, fantastic. Congratulations. Thank uh, you. Your your co-author Michael Murray has been a guest oh, on my great. show, and yeah, I don't. Mike's, I don't Mike's, Mike's a I don't remember him being a vegetarian, though. Right? He has experiment with it. I don't think he's a vegetarian. He, I, I actually I know he's not a vegetarian right now. Yeah. Um, okay, so back up to one quick thing. You said there were two compounds that what bound to the 
COVID-19 spikes. Okay. And you said one of them was quercetin. The other one I'm not familiar with. Did you L- say luteolin? Luteolin. 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 Yes. It's a carotenoid found in tomatoes. That's a carotenoid. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it's not lutein. It's different. That, that luteolin. And so now, lutein, of course, is beneficial too. And you said the two together uh, reduce cancer growth by 90%. Do you think no, you prostate just, cancer? Prostate cancer in, in a petri dish, right? So yeah, in a petri dish, yes. So are you gonna are you gonna get that out there, that information out there and get people taking that combination? It might be kind of, of magic. Course. Of course. Huh. <laughs> it's part of my educational educational program. And then next slide, uh, I couldn't find anybody who'd actually study that those levels directly. So they then uh, did find a study looking at vegans versus vegetarians versus omnivores versus heavy meat eaters, looking at their incidence of prostate cancer. And as you might expect, the vegans have the least prostate cancer, the heavy meat eaters have the most prostate cancer. Really? I have, a, I have a colleague that I have this constant debate with because he's like, the, liter- the, the evidence does not support a vegan diet. And I'm like, no, the evidence just hasn't proven that vegan diet, there's only like over 10,000 published studies that eating more plant, you know, anything from eating more plants is better for you to uh, eating meat. The more meat you eat, the worse it is for you. We, I mean, we only have over 10,000 citations now, <laughs> but his argument is always, but there's never been that comprehensive study that looks at like the paleo diet, for instance, versus the vegan diet. Do you think that'll ever be done? Well, probably, but neither of them is going to get the optimal results. I think the vegan diet will be better than the paleo diet, but the vegan diet, as I said before, by itself is not optimal. We are omnivores. Let's not pretend anything others. We are omnivores. So there are nutrients we need to get that you won't get in the vegan diet for the for the people who have those have that need. So you got to get some other way. It's so interesting because you're pretty much the only person I've ever talked to who, and we've, you know, I've had hundreds of doctors on my YouTube channel and on my podcast over the years. The only one I know who's as close to being vegan as you are, who um, is so says that you will be nutrient deficient That's if you don't eat some animal products and you, because you just really don't, you don't eat any except for a fish once a week. Oh, but I do eat some dairy products and some eggs. So I do get okay. that. Yeah. Okay. What dairy products do you think are good for you? Or is it just that you love dairy products? Uh, oh, no, they've, they've got to be um, made into cheeses or yogurt. You've got to break down the, 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 the galactose. It's not particularly good for us. So you may, anyway, so you're, you know, you know there's, it, it's interesting. If you look at long lived societies, through history, virtually every single one of them were using fermented dairy, uh, dairy products of some sort or fermented other products of some sort. So something about the fermenting process that's producing more organisms that are healthy for our, our guts. I um, raised my children. For, they went from breast milk to homemade goat milk, kefir, or yogurt. There you go. That was, and they never, once I started doing that, they never got sick again. They you know, they started out being vaccinated kids, eating standard American diet, and we were constantly sick. I, did, I like basically was in self-quarantine all the time because my kids would get asthma attacks or whatever. And then we stopped the vaccines and we shifted to a whole foods plant-based diet. And I started making homemade goat yogurt that I later figured out how to make goat kefir, which was easier and probably better. And they just didn't get sick anymore. So, I mean, till, till it, 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 is, it is remarkable. When you live healthfully, you get less sick, sickness, pure and simple. Yeah, it's so interesting. And that's a message people should be getting from this COVID-19 pandemic uh, overreaction is the ones who are dying are the ones who aren't take care of, been taking care of themselves, the ones that have a lot of disease. And I'm, I'm being, I know some people think I'm unkind. They say, well, 
know, it just runs in my family. Okay, folks, only 15% of disease is genetic. 85% is under our control. It's diet, it's environment, it's exercise, it's rest, sleep, loving relations, all these things. That's what that's where all diseases come from, not to genetics. And yes, there are some conditions that are genetically predetermined, but even those, if you dive into the biochemistry, you can say, oh, well, here's where that enzyme is not working the way it's supposed to. Well, let's see if we can figure out some way around that. It turns out there's lots of ways around it as well. And, and you know, I know what the weight set point is, but I'm curious, I've seen you talk about the inflammatory set point. Yes. Can you touch on that? Oh, that's sure. Kind of so that's, that was a big, yeah, that was a big, uh, big factor in our COVID-19 paper. So here's the situation. Our body uses inflammation in many very important ways. People think about inflammation as being bad because so many conditions are inflammatory. Rheumatoid arthritis, itis, all these things means inflammation. That's when it's got out of control. We use inflammation under control to do things like activate the immune system, to remove damaged tissues that we regenerate them. So the, the inflammatory system is a crucial part of our functioning. Unfortunately, because of the modern diet and lifestyle, uh, we've kind of overactivated the inflammatory system. So in order for the immune system to react real quickly, you've got to have these inflammatory chemicals readily available. So body is always producing a certain amount of inflammatory chemicals, not do a lot of activation, but they're right there when you need them. But when you go into a diet with high levels of animal protein, particularly with high levels of arachidonic acid, the omega-6 arachidonic acid, very, very pro-inflammatory. Expose yourself to um, all these chemical metals in the environment. They actually poison anti-inflammatory enzymes and promote pro-inflammatory enzymes in the body. You go on a diet that's primarily meat-based rather than plant-based, well, you've removed from your body all these anti-inflammatory carotenoids and flavonoids that should be there to keep things under control. So what happens is the set point, which is supposed to be low, now gets higher. Then when you have an infection like SARS-CoV-2, and your immune system was not good enough to stop it initially, now starting to grow, now you're starting to get this really big immune system reaction to keep it from killing you. Now you've gone over the threshold of how much inflammation body can handle, and then you get into the cytochrome storm and you die. Okay? So get the immune system functioning properly, get that inflammatory level down to where it's supposed to be, not to where it's so high. So even when you are infected, you can protect yourself with all these natural compounds. And if you've got to activate that deeper immune system, what can activate without worrying about going over the edge and too much inflammation. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. Did you know that if I went and got your PubMed article and I posted it, that it would get it would get marked as um, false news? <laughs> you know why? No. You know why? Because YouTube has thrown down the gauntlet and said, if it is not in keeping with what World Health Organization um, uh, recommends, then we will not allow it on our platform. And so there's an international organization dictating to an American company what, what kind of content will be allowed. And as examples, this head of YouTube said, um, for example, if you want to say that you know vitamin C has an impact on COVID-19, we'll ban your content. Well, it's, 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 yes, that is, that is terrible and totally inappropriate. And are you aware of what the FTC has been doing the last few weeks? What are they doing? They've sent out hundreds of letters to practitioners. It's the first time I'm aware of this happening in a significant way. To hundreds of practitioners, 450 letters last I heard. If those practitioners have a website that sells dietary supplements, and those dietary supplements say 
hey, take vitamin C and zinc to increase resistance to SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, I know for, that, I know for well, no, but, doctors who've gotten one. But, but it's worse than that. They're now saying, if it says this is a way to improve your re- respiratory system, to protect your respiratory system from infection, without even saying COVID-19, that also is triggering letters. So Just why? the respiratory system. Like, if they're not saying, like, it helps your... You can say this enhances your immune system, but not respiratory system. So far, that's okay. So so why is it... You know, ask your audience. So why is it that these expensive drugs got all this hype and inexpensive, you know, so, yeah. you know, hydroxychloroquine was totally trashed. So people say, well, it's because Trump liked it. Well, there's probably some truth to that because the media is so far left, they can't look at, uh, can't look at things objectively. But what if it's more nefarious than that? What if it's simply, we're, look, at, look at the evening television, look at the evening news, look at what percent of their ads are drugs. Mm-hmm. Over, I saw a study that over 65% of the actual income on the evening programs was from drug advertising. So do you think perhaps the drug companies impacted what the media is telling people? Yeah, it's like there's only six There's only six companies that own all the media. And what I've read is that 50 to 70% of their advertising budget comes from pharma. So you're, yeah, I think you're right. So it's really unfortunate because I'm not, I'm not going to assert that hydroxychloroquine is a cure for SARS-CoV-2. Um, but I think it, it probably helps. I think it's pretty clear that it helps. And it's, it's really cheap compared to other drugs. Uh, it should be used a lot more. I'm not saying for people to use preventively. I think preventively, get your zinc, get your vitamin C, get your carotenoids and flavonoids. That's your preventive, not a drug. But if you are at the early stage of, that, of actual infection, yeah, use the drug in that situation. We'll, we'll get your paper from PubMed and we'll okay. put it in the show notes here. Great, thank you. Because your paper goes through prevention, which you just kind of listed through what you know, and we've been talking about this for four and a half months. You're, what you're saying is exactly what my research recommends is good for prevention. And, and we did those all the way through. Um, then the infection phase, then the cytokine storm phase, and then the recovery phase. So it sounds like you're really pretty specific in your paper. Yeah, we, we deeply dived into everything. And everything we say is reference. Okay. And so I just, my last question for you is if you... We're stuck on a desert island and you weren't going for the foods you liked. You weren't going for the foods that you think are the most important. And, and then I'll ask you what your, what, what supplements would you have with you? And what, like, let's top it out at five foods. What are the five most amazing foods? And like you said, it's individual and, you know, obviously the cabbage family is amazingly nutritious, but your body doesn't do well with it. Um, what five, if you're just any regular person, do you think are the most important foods? Uh, in general or for me personally, because that's somewhat different. If it's for someone else, if you're picking it for like your, like your grandchild and. Okay. So as for me, I would have, uh, in terms of nutritional supplements from my own genetic makeup, uh, it turns out vitamin C is particularly important for me. Okay. And as long as I'm consuming about two grams of vitamin C a day, I very, very rarely have upper respiratory tract infection. But okay. until I learned that, I would get a cold every six weeks and I would get uh, either pneumonia or severe bronchitis uh, several times a year. And do you take an ascorbic acid or do you take like a whole foods vitamin C supplement? So I, I'm a great believer in whole foods and I take a vitamin C supplement. So okay. I take a thousand milligrams twice a day in addition to everything else I do. But do you know if it's and ascorbic acid? No, ascorbic acid. Plain ascorbic, ascorbic acid. Ascorbic acid. Okay. Anyway, so 
Um, so the other nutrients are important as well, but in terms of meat, that's one of my most important. In terms of foods, uh, we've got to have a we got to have some protein source. Uh, so I'll stick with the uh, uh, actually probably beans and snap peas. Very very nutrient dense foods. I would do some kind of a green, uh, maybe kale. I can get kale young enough before it produces too many of those toxic substances that my body doesn't like. Oh, uh, so young some, kale, huh? Okay. Right? So young um, kale your body likes. Yeah. So I have young kale in my greenhouse, and there's not much bitter stuff in them, so it's, it's good. Nice. Uh, we want some chickens to produce some eggs because uh, we need a broader protein source. Uh, we want to have some uh, berries. Uh, I love blueberries. Something that grows, wherever that, that island is, something that grows wild there, some kind of berry that grows wild. That would be very, very good. Uh, so then we've got, uh, did I say nut? I'd like to have a nut in there. So I don't know what the best nut is, but I'll go back to Dr. Bastier when I was a student 50 years ago. Dr. Bastier said, you know, he has a patient who's vegetarian, is having a lot of trouble with their protein nutrition. He says black walnuts have always been, always been my favorite. So I'll stick with black Dr. Walnuts. Bastier, black walnuts. Okay. I would take I would take almonds to my desert island. Yeah, almonds I think are quite good too. But you know, we need some more vegetables in there, some more fruit. But you know, you get the idea. Real food. Maybe a sweet potato. Diversity. Maybe sweet potato. Because now you have some starch, too. Yes, but now you have to cook it. Oh, true. True. I didn't even think about that on the island. (laughs) Well, okay, so your book is coming out. Tell everybody where to get your book and where they can follow you online. Well, my books are on on Amazon, so that's easy to get. And just put my name in there, a bunch will pop up. Uh, And, like, the textbook is coming out next month. So I noticed Amazon just listed it, but it doesn't list it for sale from other other people. So they'll have it pretty, pretty shortly. Um, and then I've got a website at drpizzono.com, D-R-P-I-Z-Z-O-R-N-O.com, that I'm not very good at updating. I should do that. It's more of that. I'm, so I'm, I'm much more into the, not not so good about the social media. I'm much more into the writing and lecturing and things like that. You like, yeah, you like the the researching and then the whole marketing thing is like this annoying side. That, that's what they're... I want to leave, it, I want to leave somebody else like you. Yeah, that's the no. I, I I'm with you. I want to I want to write books. I've written sixteen of them too. But oh, good for you. Yeah, everybody thinks I'm a good marketer. I'm like, no, I just have great employees. <laughs> that's good. Well, we really appreciate you spending the time today. It's been a long time chasing you down, but it was worth every minute, and I really appreciate you. Well, keep up the great work. It's it's fun fun to hear what you're working on. 